At this time, we come before Heavenly Father, the prayers of the people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that through your Son, Jesus, by the power of your Spirit, we can come to you. We can come to you with our joys, their sorrows. We can come to you with our fears, Lord, with our hope. And Lord, we come this morning and we thank you and praise you, Lord God, that we can indeed gather together in the name of Jesus, that we can come and worship without fear, without fear of death, without fear of persecution, Lord, because in your great mercy and providence, Lord, you have allowed those freedoms here in this country, and we thank you and praise you. We thank you that, Lord God, that as we celebrate on this holiday weekend the independence of this country, Lord, we first and foremost are thankful and grateful for all that you have provided and given to us. Lord, we do not have the audacity to believe that we live in a perfect country, Lord God. We do live in one, Lord, that you have seen fit to bless, and we thank you and praise you for that. And Lord, we, at the same time, we confess that we are a country both past and present who have sinned against you and against one another. And Lord God, we come to you and ask on this day, Lord, that you would forgive us, that you would give us as your people, the people called by your name, that you would give us renewed hope in the gospel, Lord, that we might live and serve and move and have our being in this place that gives glory to you and you alone and calls others to the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we think of our brothers and sisters, part of our congregation who are ill, Lord, we pray that you'd be with them, strengthen them, bring healing. Lord, we particularly uh, think of uh, Dan Williams. Lord, we thank you that you uh, have strengthened him and he continues to rebound from Lyme's disease. Lord God, we pray that you continue to strengthen his body, strengthen his heart. Lord God, we thank you for Nicole Noel Durfee and how she is recovering. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to be with her and to 
strengthen her eye and to uh, bring renewed vision to her. Lord, we thank you for the surgery and, and all the, the medical knowledge that went into restore, helping to restore her sight, Lord God. Lord, we think of those among us who are battling cancer, Lord, particularly we th think of Brenda Jested as we've just received word this weekend that her cancer has grown significantly. Lord, that since her last scan, Lord, she is <clears throat> facing uh, a new form of, of therapy. Lord, we pray that you'd be with her, strengthen her, sustain her. Lord, may she be able to start this new therapy soon. Lord, we think of Nick Protos, and Lord, we pray that you would continue to be with him as he awaits his CAR-T treatment beginning on July 6th. Lord, sustain him and strengthen him as he awaits. Lord, we pray for John Vandegee's father and Karen Clicker's father. Continue to be with them, we pray, Lord God, as they battle cancer as well. Lord, we pray this day that you would indeed be with us as we come to your word. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to hear your word this day. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a reminder, because it's a holiday weekend, we do not have our Covenant Kids worship that we normally have. If you are here this morning and you have uh, children that uh, would be helpful, we do have some activity packets out in the uh, um, gathering space, and uh, one of our ushers would be sure be glad to help you find those. They're in baskets right inside the front door. Um, and they can be useful if you would find them to be uh, with coloring sheets and other things uh, for younger children. So if you are in need of that, please uh, feel free to, to use that this morning. This morning we'll be in Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. That is page 976 in your Spanish Bibles and page 876 in your pew Bibles or chair Bibles. You know, pews. Never had pews. I don't even know what I'm talking about. Um, as we come to our text this morning, before we get to our text, uh, as I was preparing this sermon this week, it was hard for me not to, as, if, as we've maybe discussed in the past, think of zombies. <laughs> zombies have become part of our culture. For those of you who are unaware of zombies, zombies are the undead, people who are dead but can still walk and move and oftentimes create all kinds of mayhem and horror. There are movies about zombies, TV shows, even cartoons, books uh, about zombies, about like what would happen if zombies actually happened, but also novels about zombies. Zombies as a genre, as we know it today, 
began here in Western Pennsylvania, as many of you know, with the George Romero movie, Night of the Living Dead. People come from all over the world to Western Pennsylvania to pay homage to this genre of horror. But long before we had zombies, there were those that would have been seen as the living dead. They were those who suffered from leprosy. In biblical times, leprosy was thought to be a disease that ate away your flesh, causing people who had leprosy to look as if they were the living dead. Leprosy really is instead a nerve disease that causes you not to feel pain, and so you can easily injure yourself, and those injuries then can become infected, and all kinds of diseases can set in. And because the danger of these diseases and the smell from rotting flesh, those with leprosy had to live away from the rest of society, often alone, sometimes in what would be described as leper colonies. And this is where we find Jesus in our text today, among the living dead. Passing near a leper colony where a group of men with leprosy approach him, asking for mercy. The living dead come to Jesus seeking new life. From the living dead to the life of the living is what they seek. So let's read Luke 17, verses 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, as Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return to give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is true and everlasting. Lord, we pray that you would be with us this morning as we come to your word. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, that we too might rise and go our way, knowing that our faith has made us well. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we continue in our series in the Gospel of Luke called Certainty in Christ. And last week, Pastor Alex preached from verses 10, uh, from the first 10 verses of chapter 17. And we were reminded by Jesus that we will experience temptations. They will happen in this life. But we are not to be the ones that tempt others to sin. We also are to be those who confront sin, but also those who are quick to forgive those who seek forgiveness. And finally, we were reminded that as disciples of Jesus, we are unworthy servants. And yet the worthy master, Jesus, welcomes us. 
This morning, as we continue in chapter 17, we come to Luke's final reminder that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. See in in verse 11, on the way to Jerusalem. You'll remember as we uh, began this section of Luke way back at the end of chapter 9, we were reminded at that point that Luke will occasionally, throughout this section of of Scripture, of his gospel, interject that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And this isn't just kind of like, just kind of throwing out there that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. This is Luke's way of reminding us, his first readers and us, that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to give his life. To give his life as an atoning sacrifice for sin. And as we've said before, all that has taken place since the end of chapter 9 and is taking place with this reality in mind, that Jesus' miracles and teaching are very much done with this reality in view. That all that Jesus is doing, teaching and doing as in his miracles in this section is all with the focus on what is to come on the cross. And so what at first glance might just look like another healing miracle is much more than that. As we come to our text this morning, we are struck by the faith on display in the lives of these men with leprosy. They cry out for mercy, and Jesus tells them to go to the priests and show themselves, and they go. They go not yet healed, but they go and are healed on their way. And yet... There is only one who, Jesus says, fully gets what has taken place on this miraculous day. All ten believe Jesus, but only one fully comprehends what Jesus has done. And so we're confronted with that question this morning, do we fully comprehend what Jesus has done? It would seem that all ten receive the word of Jesus with joy, right? Jesus speaks words directing them to go and to show themselves to the priest before healing has even happened, and they receive that word with perceived joy, and they go, and they're healed. They receive the word of Jesus with joy, but... Do you remember the parable of the sower from chapter 8? The nine are those who hear, but as they go on their way, quoting Jesus from chapter 9, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. These nine didn't fully comprehend what Jesus had done. They had been the living dead given healing that would bring new life. But while they're enjoying their new life, they miss the new life in Jesus. While they are enjoying their new life, they miss the new life in Jesus. And so this morning, 
we see that Jesus is the one who gives life to the living dead. Jesus is the one who gives life to the living dead. We'll look at the living dead from verses 11 through 14, and then the dead now living in verses 15 through 19. Jesus is the one who gives life to the living dead. Verses 11 through 14. As Jesus enters this unnamed town, a group of men with leprosy cry out for mercy. If you're paying attention as you're reading through the Gospel of Luke, you'll notice that previously Jesus has healed a man with leprosy. You might remember this from chapter 5. I know it's been a long time, so uh, you might have forgotten. But the cry by the man with leprosy was for cleansing in chapter 5. But here the cry is for mercy. And in Luke... The word mercy is a synonym for being saved. They are crying out for salvation from the life of the living dead, of decay and misery that they are living. And the one who is clean crosses over the boundary to the one who is unclean in order to make them clean. Right? They're on the border between Galilee and Samaria, Samaria, which is separated by those who were clean, the Jews, and from those who were unclean, the Samaritans. And so Jesus, in this interaction, is literally playing out not just the uncleanliness of the, of the lepers versus the, those who are clean in this town, but between the Gentiles, the Samaritans, and the Jews, the clean and the unclean. And so Jesus crosses over this state, and he engages with these unclean men who are crying out for mercy or for salvation from the unclean life that they are living, from the living dead of decay and misery. And Jesus answers their cry. He answers their cry in verse 14. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now, they go. They go by faith, having confidence that Jesus will do what he said he will do. They go with the confidence of maybe of hearing of his previous healing miracles. And they believe that they will be healed too if they follow his command to go to the temple. And yet, they miss something. They miss that the faith that they have to go should be directed not to the temple where they will sacrifice in thanksgiving for their cleansing, for their healing, but to Jesus himself, the sacrifice that will fulfill the sacrifices that they are about to make. 
you know, these nine briefly recognize God's graciousness. They have a faith that leads them in joy to go and show themselves to the priests. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. They initially respond in faith, in the joy of hearing the word of of Christ spoken to them. And like the nine, God's graciousness is either briefly recognized or often ignored and unappreciated in our lives. In addition, often those who've been blessed forget to take time to thank those God used to bless them. As one commentator states, often our families and friends and, more important, the God of life are underappreciated, taken advantage of, or ignored not necessarily to their detriment, but always to ours. God's grace is extended to all. His common good grace is extended to all, but it does not mean that all gain salvation. God blesses humanity in a general way even bringing healing. But only those who respond in saving faith in what Christ has done receive His full blessing and acceptance. Do you see the irony here? The ten lepers were happy to journey to the temple with the expectation that they would be cleansed. But only one leper after the cleansing was willing to return to give glory to God. God in the person of Jesus, whose presence in the world and whose sacrifice on the cross would bring an end to the worship they were on their way to provide in the temple. And the biggest irony is this, what we read in chapter, in verse 16, now he was a Samaritan. He was a foreigner, the unclean of the unclean. You get that? He was double unclean, right? He had leprosy, and he was a Samaritan. He was the worst kind of person with leprosy you could have. He was the worst of the worst, the unclean of the unclean. The most unclean is the one who returns the outcast, probably even among the lepers, is the one who returns to praise God. He is the one who understands that the dead are now living. Verses 15 through 19. Right, the, the cry of the ten introduced this theme of salvation Right, this theme of salvation, this desire for mercy. They want to be saved. They want to be saved from their circumstance. They want to be saved from this life of death. Which they are. 
And yet there is a greater salvation that they are in need of. This Samaritan man with leprosy comes back, having been cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. There is no other place in the New Testament where the Greek translated give thanks is giving thanks to anyone other than God the Father himself. So Luke is keying us in here that this man in his giving thanks and falling down at the feet of Jesus realizes that Jesus is not merely a man. But that he is God in the flesh, worthy of worship. Any other time in Scripture when someone falls at the feet of someone else to thank them or to give praise, that being, whether it be an angel or anyone else, Paul himself, when it's thought that he was a God. Tell the people to stand up and direct their worship to the true God. Jesus receives this thanks, this worship. And Luke is showing us in that that this man understands that salvation has truly come to him. This Samaritan understands that the glory he gives to God is to be expressed in worship of and thanksgiving to Jesus, who is God in the flesh. And as he will soon find out, this Jesus, whose cleansing atonement supersedes the cleansing rites of the priests of the temple, is what his worship is really for. His worship of thanksgiving confesses his faith, his conviction about God and Jesus. A grateful and thankful heart is a sign of those who were dead and are now living. There's a story about Charles Spurgeon sharing the gospel with a very talkative woman who was beginning to understand the good news when she burst out, Oh, Mr. Spurgeon, if Christ saves me, he will never hear the end of it. And so it should be with us. As people of faith, our praise to God must be radically Christ-centered. He should never hear the end of it. Saving faith does not vaguely give glory to God the Father Hearts of faith are doxologically Christocentric. Jesus is the reason, not just for the season, but for all of life. Jesus is the reason that we respond with joy and thanksgiving. And if we look through 
Scripture, through God's Word, we can easily find a full list of incredible reasons that we are to be grateful and thankful for what Christ, God in Christ has done. This is just a short list. But God is thanked for His deliverance, for loving us and being faithful for hearing our cry, for safe arrival at after a long, arduous journey, for other believers and for the testimony of their faith, for the gift of salvation, for delivering us from our inclination to sin, for the spiritual gift of being able to address God as Father, for resurrection hope, for testimony, deliverance, and victory in the midst of persecution for the support of a colleague in ministry, for other believers, for those who respond to God's word, for being able to serve others for God and for his attributes. And that is just a small little list of all the ways in which Scripture, people like you and me, have rejoiced with grateful and thankful hearts for what our God has done. We are those who once we have understood the salvation that Jesus brings, that he saves us not merely from a life of death, but he saves us from death to life. And so our response as this response of the Samaritan is one of thankful and grateful worship. And as Jesus receives this worship, he asks these rhetorical questions, pointing out that the nine, while they had faith to receive the word for a moment, the fruit is choked out. And they have not believed in the one who has saved them. But for those who understand who Jesus is, for those who have experienced his saving grace, who respond with thankful worship, Jesus says to him and to us, rise and go your way, your faith has made you well. It's not this man's faith that healed him. You see, there are a lot in the church that believe if I just had enough faith or more faith or if I had the right kind of faith, I would be healed. It is not this man's faith that healed him. Jesus healed the nine just like he did the one. Jesus didn't take it back. He didn't go, take backsies, you know, like, oh, you guys didn't come back. Oh, you guys have leprosy again. No, he didn't take the healing back. This 
phrase, rise and go your way, your faith has made you well, can also be translated, rise and go your way, or rise and journey on, your faith has saved you. Many commentators prefer that translation. Your faith has saved you. The faith that you have in me, Jesus is saying, has saved you. This command that Jesus gives, arise and journey, could easily be understood as an invitation for this man to rise and journey with him on to Jerusalem in the context of, G of Luke reminding us that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. There this man might see the basis for his cleansing, the atonement where Jesus shows God's ultimate mercy by cleansing all from the leprosy of sin that plagues the fallen creation. The living dead was now alive once again, and so it is with us. We are resurrected to new life for a life of mission, to hear God's voice, to use our hands for his glory, to walk in God's ways with him on the journey. You know, Jesus brings a new kind of holiness. It's not a holiness based on circumcision or dietary laws or the Jerusalem temple with its priests and sacrifices as the nine went to give. It's a holiness based on his own person and the sinless, as the sinless son of God and on the sacrifice that is perfect, unblemished lamb who takes away the sin of the world. The holiness of Jesus given to all who will be baptized in his name, all who believe will transcend all ethnic and cultural boundaries as it purifies the people of God's new covenant in Christ. And the cleansed Samaritan points toward the multitudes of foreigners, including you and me, who will be incorporated into the church and beyond. And as we have been incorporated into the church, baptized in his name, the early readers of Luke, foreigners like us, may also hear in the thanksgiving of the Samaritan the allusion to the church's ongoing Eucharist or communion. Eucharist comes from the Greek verb for giving thanks. In the Eucharist, the church bows down in thankful worship before the presence of the crucified and risen Christ who gives his body and blood in a meal where his divine cleansing is for all. All for like the Samaritan who are saved through faith. Faith alone in Christ alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you for the hope of salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. Lord, that your son, Jesus, has the power to cleanse and to heal us. Lord, and as we've prayed earlier, 
We pray that he might do that for our brothers and sisters. But Lord, as this one Samaritan understood, and Lord, as we, I pray, understand this day, the true healing and cleansing that we need ultimately is the salvation that your son offers through his death and resurrection, through the sacrifice he gave on the cross to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and to resurrect us to new life as he conquered Satan, sin, and death. May we joyfully and thankful worship come to you as we come to your table. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We come this morning to the Eucharist.